mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today in our Community and Business Spotlight, Findlay's Independence Day celebration will include fireworks and a whole lot more. The Junior Fair has a full day of events planned. We'll get a preview. Also this morning, even though backyard displays are now legal in Ohio, safety experts still recommend leaving the pyrotechnics to the professionals. And remember, they love America, but many veterans don't share the love for those 4th of July fireworks. In our Throwback Thursday segment this morning, the boys in the cave, the rescue mission exactly five years ago that had a much happier ending than this month's Ocean Gate tragedy. And the Hancock Historical Museum's annual ice cream social is coming up next week. And later in the month, Findlay rocks the 60s live. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, June 29th, 2023. Did you hear about the uh, latest gaffe by President Biden? Um, (laughs) This was yesterday. The president was speaking with reporters. He was asked whether the recent aborted coup in Russia had left Vladimir Putin weakened. And his response to reporters was this. He said, it's hard to tell, but he is clearly losing the war in Iraq. (laughs) Um. And, uh, of course, Russia is not at war with Iraq. They're at war with Ukraine. Uh, Iraq is the country that the United States was at war with uh, up until a few years ago. So, um, (laughs) now, I I recognize, and I I try not to pick on the president too much because uh, President Biden is a stutterer. He has a speech impediment. He is a stutterer. And so, uh, and, and quite often... Uh, he will, I mean, he's concentrating so hard on not stuttering when he speaks that sometimes he'll flub his words. And and I admire anyone who has a speech impediment who still goes out and uh, speaks in public and all that, because it's not easy. It's not easy if you don't have a speech impediment to speak in public, and if you do, you're trying to overcome that, even to this day, he has to concentrate so hard on on not stuttering and getting the words out that sometimes, you know, you can flub some words. And so I try not to uh, be too hard on the president with this, but at the same time, (laughs) mistaking Ukraine and Iraq, um, it's not the uh, first time the president has mixed up the two. Uh, According to uh, Bloomberg, the president referred to Ukraine as Iraq in a fundraiser on Tuesday night. And uh, this is not going to do much for the concerns of the American public about an 80-year-old commander-in-chief and his mental fitness, uh, especially since he's running for another term. Uh, In a recent NBC poll, 68% of voters said that they are worried that uh, Mr. Biden does not have the necessary mental and physical health to be president. So this is not going to help his case. But uh, no, so that's people are buzzing about that. Uh, let's see some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Uh, this is kind of interesting. The president uh, has uh, announced a huge investment, uh, billions of dollars, to expand rural broadband access uh, throughout the country. And the state of Ohio is getting something like $800 million or something to expand broadband access to uh, rural parts of the country where it is not currently available. I'm not sure that you would necessarily want it, though. A new survey of more than 2,000 American adults and 500 teens 
found that 52% of respondents faced online harassment and online hate uh, in their lifetime at some point while they were online. This is up from 40% in last year's uh, report from the Anti-Defamation League. So it's gone from 40 to 52% in the span of one year. 76% of transgender individuals reported experiencing harassment. Um, 54, uh, 54% experienced this uh, provocation on Facebook. 27% on Twitter. 15% on Reddit, the online bulletin board. The uh, CEO of the Anti-Defamation, uh, Anti-Defamation League said, We are confronted with record levels of hate across the Internet that too often turns into real violence and danger in our communities. So do we really want, uh, if you are uh, in one of those areas that doesn't have uh, broadband internet access, maybe count your lucky stars, actually. Maybe it's not such a bad thing, but no, I understand. It is very important, and you can't really live without uh, internet access these days. Now, this is really cool. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories, I peruse the newswire first thing in the morning to find the stories that may not get uh, the headline news coverage and make sure that you are aware of these important things. This may be one of the greatest inventions of all time. A Ph.D. student at Southern Methodist University uh, it gives the name here, but it's uh, one that I can't pronounce. Okay. Can Dalyu Shuang, I believe is uh, the name, but I know I've messed that up badly. Anyway, PhD student at Southern Methodist University has invented a sensor to determine if your food has actually gone bad. This has been a story that... Comes up in the news from time to time. Uh, the average person throws away $3,000 worth of food every year. And that's a bad thing for a number of reasons, but not the least of which you're throwing $3,000 worth of food away. That's a lot of money that we are wasting. And uh, a lot of it is because we read the expiration date or the best buy date on our food, and if it passes that date, we just toss it. But those are largely just guidelines, and even expiration dates, the Best Buy dates are are just guidelines. The expiration dates, even then, I mean, there's some wiggle room there. So a lot of unspoiled food goes in the trash needlessly. So this food sensor uh, will measure... The pH levels in food, which are higher when uh, food has spoiled. The invention has already been tested on fruit, fish, and milk. And um, so if it works, uh, so far it it appears that it works. And if they uh, can, I guess, get it patented and marketed to be on the uh, way. The need to prevent food waste motivated me to think of a device that is not expensive or labor-intensive to develop uh, and that can detect freshness levels of our food. That could be, that could be the greatest invention ever. We can get that on the market. It's really cool. A couple of other uh, interesting stories. Uh, when he, we were talking about the uh, weather and the smoke and everything has been making the uh, headlines. Drought conditions in parts of North America 
uh, are, it's still a story. Uh, in Mexico, the drought conditions that they had a year ago are still impacting the supply, speaking of food, still impacting the supply of sriracha sauce because of a shortage of red jalapeno peppers in Mexico. What? Sriracha sauce. Uh, according to the LA Times, whenever the whenever the stuff appears on store shelves, it sells out like that. It is the latest shortage, product shortage. <laughs> we have sriracha sauce. Um, in Northern California, restaurants in the Bay Area are reporting people stealing bottles off of the tables. Uh, the company uh, that... Uh, makes the majority of sriracha sauce sold in that part of the country, says they are still experiencing a shortage, but limited production has resumed. The bottles are in such hot demand that third-party sellers on Amazon are selling them for up to $125. Wow. Hang on to your sriracha sauce. Um, Now, this is uh, interesting. Always check... Your bill. Always check your bill. Abby, and it doesn't matter where, at a restaurant, at a store, even at the hospital, Abby Osborne gave birth to a daughter in the spring of this year and was surprised to receive a $450 bill for the baby's circumcision. (laughs) Mind you, it was a baby girl. Um, Ms. Osborne got a hold of the hospital about the uh, blunder. And um, when she shared her story online, she got replies from a number of patients who had also been charged for medical services that never took place. One woman said she was charged for a mammogram for three breasts. Uh, That's (laughs) Uh, she says, I only have two. Uh, One man claimed he went to the ER for an incident regarding uh, uh, braces, the braces on his teeth. He was charged for a uterus examination. So that's not a good thing. And uh, Ms. Osborne says she was able to have the charge removed, but she says it's a uh, case study, a cautionary tale to carefully check your medical bills. So (laughs) you never know. And finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, the age-old debate has been reignited just in time for the 4th of July in our cookouts and so on. Should ketchup be stored in the refrigerator or just in the cupboard? Does ketchup need to be refrigerated? Heinz has finally settled the debate, or tried to, by tweeting that its iconic product its signature product should be kept in the fridge following a heated debate in the comments when Heinz posted about this online. It's kind of funny. The maker, the manufacturer of the ketchup says that it should be refrigerated, and yet people still try to argue uh, this. Um, following a heated debate in the comments uh, after the tweet, the company put out a poll, and of uh, 2,500 votes the answers were split right down the middle. Um, Heinz responded, although we're aware many ketchup fans have been storing their ketchup in the cupboard, we do recommend refrigeration after opening. So once you open it, put it in the fridge. That's what Heinz says. Um, One fan asked if they 
could keep their ketchup beside their pillow? I don't know. That seems a little much. That seems a little extreme. But there you go. Heinz says, refrigerate after opening. At the risk of opening up this whole can of worms. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Some smoke and haze again today with a high in the mid-80s. A chance of showers tonight, a low around 70. The Finley Police Department is warning people to beware of a scammer who's claiming to be with the police department and is calling people trying to collect money on behalf of the Fort Finley FOP Lodge. The police department reminds people that it does not call seeking donations, that any such call is a scam. And FOP Foundation Development Director Teresa White reminds people that the foundation does not make calls as part of their primary fundraising campaign. If you would like to make a donation to the Fort Finley FOP Lodge 20 Foundation and help fund some of our amazing programs, you can head to our website and you can click on the Cops and Kids tab or you can click on Donate Today. That is the best way to make sure that your donation gets exactly where it needs to go. And we have a link to the Fort Finley FOP Lodge Foundation website in this story on our website. Ohio's special election in August will be the first with new, stricter policies on photo ID for voters. You will need a state driver's license or Ohio ID with a current or former address. An Ohio ID is offered for free at the BMV. If you want to vote in the special election, you have until July 10th to register if you haven't been voting regularly. Early voting begins the next day. Ground has been broken on the new Hancock County Judicial Center building at 209 West Main Cross in downtown Findlay. Hancock County Commissioner Tim Bechtel. This is the first building the county's built in downtown Finley since the Justice Center was built. All the other construction uh, Hancock County has done has been out on 140 outside the city limits of Finley. So this is a very major project for Hancock County. The three-story, 47,000-square-foot building will be the new home for a probate and juvenile court, among other court facilities and offices. See video from the groundbreaking with this story on our website. The Finley Rotary Club has a new president. Scott Homan was installed as president at the club's meeting this week. Homan's the president and founder of a wealth management firm in Findlay. He lives in Alveda with his wife. They both grew up in New Regal and more than 20 years ago moved back to the area to be closer to family while raising their four kids. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Fourth of July, right around the corner, and Britta Fenstermaker is with us. She is Junior Fair Coordinator for the Hancock County Fair. Uh, you've got a huge event. It's always a big event, Fourth of July fireworks, actually on the 3rd of July at the Hancock County Fairgrounds, but... You're taking it to the kind of the next level this year. Yes, absolutely. We've got a, lot, a full day of events, so we're starting off the morning with a 5K race. Mm-hmm. That'll start at 10 a.m. Uh, we have a car show then after that from noon to 4, and then we have a kids' fun zone with bounce house, pony rides, train rides from noon to 6. <laughs> Cornhole tournament will start at 3 o'clock in the Millstream Center, mm-hmm. and then uh, 6.30, the beer garden opens. 7.30 is the concert with Josh Melton. So we have a lot of stuff going on this year. All of the proceeds are going to come back and benefit the Junior Fair. Yeah, so this is the the thing. I mean, the fireworks uh, always obviously been a, a big thing, huge draw. And the idea here is to make a full day out of it to benefit the Junior Fair. How? I mean, what what are you using these proceeds for then, for all of these other things? So the Junior Fair supports seven groups of youth involvement throughout the fair. 
So it's not just 4-H, FFA. We've got big things from Junior Achievement, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Campfire USA. All of them come in to make the Junior Fair. So when we run a fair, we have to focus on, you know, promoting these activities that the kids are doing, promoting all the hard work that they've put in. So we like to do awards and trophies. Right. This year, the Junior Fair Board has decided to go above and beyond. They're doing some belt buckles. We're doing, like, um, duffel bags, a lot of things like that, you know, and just little minimal things that go into there all the ribbons you know all of the expenses with yeah. inside the buildings of you know lining them and uh, the designs and the products that go inside mm-hmm. all add up in the end yeah I, it's for those of us who just go to the fair maybe they seem like little things but you take all of that together it's a big deal for the kids and obviously uh takes a lot of time and effort and money to uh, make all of that happen and make it so special for the kids at the fair so, uh, again, uh, everything gets underway with the uh, Red, White, and Boom 5K. Uh, starts at 10, you said? 10 o'clock the start so, time. You can pick up your packets at 9 o'clock. Okay. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, stuff for the kids, stuff for the grown-ups. Uh, there's entertainment at the Gospel Pavilion as well, and the uh, concert in the evening, car show. You've got more information about all of this on the website, right? Yes, on the HancockFairgrounds.org. And is admission free for everything? Admission is free into the fairgrounds, yes. Um, there's going to be 17 plus food vendors on site there, too. Oh, that, yeah, that let's way not forget too. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's going to be food there. There's going to the Junior Fair Board setting up a concession as well, too. So we're selling popcorn and cotton candy, drinks, all the goods. Um, yeah, and then anything. So the 5K is $25. The car show, and it's not just for cars either. We have cars, motorcycles, okay. tractors, farm equipment. That's $10 a vehicle. So. And that's the entry fee, but if you just want to come and yes. check them all out, then it's free admission. Absolutely. Um, so you literally can make a day out of it. As a matter of fact, folks are encouraged to make a day yes, out of it. absolutely. That's what we're going for. <laughs> and this is all happening on Monday, right? Monday, July 3rd. All right. Uh, we will see you there at the Hancock County Fairgrounds for the big celebration of our Independence Day Junior Fair Coordinator, Britta Fenstermaker, with us this morning. Again, the HancockFairgrounds.org website has the full schedule of events, right? Yes, absolutely. Very good. Uh, Britta, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We appreciate it. Happy 4th. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. So while we're on the subject of fireworks this morning with the 4th of July right around the corner, we know that backyard fireworks displays are legal now in the state of Ohio as of last year. Of course, the safety experts still recommend leaving the pyrotechnics to the professionals, but not everyone will do that, obviously. So let's talk about staying safe and what the rules actually are. Kevin Shanice is with us from the Findlay Fire Department, and let's start there, what the, the, the rules of the law actually says about discharging fireworks. Okay, so, uh, you know, it's they're only allowed certain times of the year, and obviously we're coming to the biggest time right. of the year, which is 4th of July. That's when most people are most active with fireworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also has the most days that you're allowed to do it. Um, so actually starting tomorrow through the 5th are days that you're allowed to do it. We skip mm-hmm. the 6th, but then the 7th, 8th, and 9th are allowed again. Okay. So, um, so you basically are going to get a... You've eight, got the weekend before, day, the weekend after, and then the third, the fourth, and fifth. Third, fourth, and fifth. Um, so it, this is yeah. the biggest window of time um, for people to be able to shoot the fireworks off. It is a, a good point, though, that there are a couple of days in there where you can't, which 
might seem a little odd, but it makes sense when you read the rules. Yeah, so, next Thursday you can't. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, now there, basically the the law says that anything that you can buy at a retail store in the state of Ohio is now legal. Basically, that is correct. Right? Yeah. So. Uh, there aren't any restrictions. Now, what I thought was kind of interesting is the rule actually says that it needs to be purchased in the state of Ohio. Correct. So you can't go to Michigan and bring it back. Presumably because they might sell something that is not legal to set off that in is the correct. state of Ohio. State, state by state rules have always been different. Um, yeah. You know, prior to the law coming into effect in Ohio, states like Indiana, Michigan, yeah. you know, a lot of folks would go there to get it. Right. Um, and the rules are different. Yeah. So uh, that is just to make it easier you got to buy it in Ohio because anything that can be sold in Ohio now can be be set off. Now, that's not to say that it is necessarily safe. And I know that uh, fire officials were among those who were not necessarily uh, on board with the idea of legalizing all these uh, fireworks. But given the fact that they are, what are some of the ways to make sure that we stay safe? Well, the biggest thing is is, um, you have to shoot the fireworks off on your own property. Mm -hmm. You couldn't drag them over to a schoolyard or a field behind your house or something like that. That's not your property. You're not legally allowed to discharge fireworks on someone else's property. So that's first and foremost. It has to be on your own property Mm -hmm. um, from that standpoint. You want to make sure that you have a safe distance for people to stay away. You know, a bucket of water or a hose nearby in case some, you know, doesn't light off. They encourage you to wet it down with water mm-hmm. and not try to relight it for safety purposes. Yeah. Um, you know, see, so you want to make sure that you're not taking, you know, you go out to the store and you buy a whole pile of fireworks and you're lighting them off, but that your fireworks that you have not lit off are two feet away from where you're lighting them off. That yeah. is a recipe for disaster. There's YouTube videos about all that stuff. Yeah. It is not a uh, pleasant sight. Yeah. there. Uh, I think last year there was a video circulating up in Toledo with a whole truckload of fireworks that yep. went off uh, all at once, and it was really, really scary. Yeah, and one of the videos I actually I just watched before I came over here, um, the people were lighting it off in their front yard when they were kept the extra fireworks in the back of a minivan with the door up. The fireworks shot into the minivan, and of course, the minivan explodes because uh, all yeah. the fireworks are in it. Yeah, uh, and again, the fact that you you have to uh, sell them off on your own property, again, probably not a good idea if you are in town in a very on a very small lot because not only you can't keep people away but don't want them fired fire them off near your home or near somebody else's home power lines anything combustible that kind of thing yeah trees um you know we were fortunate to have a bunch of trees in our community yeah um and you know if you're trying to get a line of sight to get this uh firework up in the air and the tree canopy is greater than what you don't have an open space yeah um you know that would certainly deter you from shooting them off on your own property yeah um, a couple of the other things that I thought, and you've got actually uh, a whole flyer on you know safety tips and what the rules are, when you can shoot them off, and so on uh, on the website, which we linked up at, at ours. And I was looking over some of those, and I thought this was kind of interesting about uh, never lighting fireworks in a container. Yes, especially a glass container. Yes, and I'm thinking, you know, when we were kids, you're shooting off the uh, bottle rockets out of a bottle. A bottle. <laughs> Yeah, not a good idea. Yeah, because if it explodes, what does it do? It makes the glass go everywhere. Yeah. Um, so now you're shrapnel. not only shrapnels everywhere, yeah. um, and it certainly would create a different safety concern um, from that standpoint. Um, so, again, these are the things that, sadly, people don't think about. Um, yeah, and I mean, let's face it, Fourth of July is a, a holiday. Um, there's usually alcohol involved, um, and so... 
you know, maybe some of those things that you would think is foolish now um, mm-hmm. sound like a great idea after, you you know, you've had a couple drinks yeah. um, and your kids are egging you on, your neighbors are egging you on, and next thing you know, you make some bad decisions. Yeah. Um, so the moral of that story is the person who's shooting them off really should be the one that's sober. Correct. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, you're going to make the most sound decisions that way. Um, you know, we were fortunate last year. Last year was the first year of, of the law coming into effect, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't have any issues, which was great. You know, we didn't know going into it, you know, what our concerns were, um, that we didn't want to have a bunch of issues either. Um, so we were able to get through last year with no issues. We were hoped for the same as we move forward. Um, you know, but we just want to make sure everybody's safe, you know. And like you said before, um, let the fireworks people handle the fireworks um, yeah. if you're unforsure or – the other thing that we've uh, we've talked about in the past, because uh, some of the novelty fireworks have always been legal, but uh, making sure that the kids are not playing with these things. I know, again, people will light the sparklers and the kids will be waving them around. And boy, you always hold your breath when you see something like that. Yeah, and that's a prime example is you're handing a sparkler, which you think is, you know, innocent enough. Um, but a sparkler burns at like 1300 degrees. Um, so now you take that, you put it in an infant's toddler, you know, young kid's hand. Mm-hmm. And the second they get burnt, what are they going to do with that object? You know, they want to get rid of it right away. So they throw it down on the ground. Maybe they throw it in mulch. You know, they throw it where they don't, shouldn't normally throw it, but they're a kid. They don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or they get burnt. Um, so, you know, be cautious about where you're handing those things. Yes, it's fun. Yeah, no, we want everybody to have a good time, but know that you have no idea what's going to happen once you hand that kid a sparkler. Yeah. And uh, then, again, as we mentioned, you've got this uh, uh, flyer with uh, a lot of uh, really good information and reminders for folks. And right at the bottom, do not experiment with homemade fireworks. That, you would think, would go without saying, Mm -hmm. but... Here we are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we want to purchase them from a retail manufacturer, um... And then that way you are as safe as you possibly can be, you know, from that standpoint, you know, don't buy things off the internet or some guys out of his back truck, you know, out of the bed of his truck or something like that. Cause you just don't know where that stuff's come from. Yeah. And, and, you know, quality control and, and, uh, all of that. Yeah. It, it can be dangerous if you, uh, it can be dangerous in the best of circumstances can be extremely dangerous, uh, when you add, uh, all of this other stuff. To yeah, it. absolutely. You know, you, you never know, um, you know, the firework itself, you know, doing the shows that we do, the big shows at the fairgrounds and stuff like that. Even those guys have difficulty sometimes with, uh, you know, the product it malfunctions. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, certainly reputable people that are doing it, um, you know, and those things happen. So the safer you can be from that regard, the and, better off. And they're not, uh, out there in their backyard with uh, shorts and a tank top on. They've got fire suits and everything else. Yep, so absolutely. you look at that and you start to realize just how dangerous this is. Yeah, and you know, be. things just like wearing a pair of safety glasses when you're lighting stuff off, you mm-hmm. know, wearing a pair of gloves, um, you know, using maybe a, not just a, a little lighter, but a longer lighter so you can get a little bit further away. Those are super easy things that everybody has around their house that, you know, would make them safer than just, you know, going up and doing it barehanded. You know, if that thing goes off, you know, Protect your eyes. Yeah, very good uh, information uh, to keep in mind over the next uh, week and a half or so as we uh, celebrate the 4th of July. Everyone uh, is looking forward to a great celebration, but we want to make sure that we stay safe and don't want to remember this 4th of July for all of the wrong reasons. Again, uh, Kevin Shanice, the Findlay Fire Department, with us this morning. We have that uh, link on our webpage for uh, more information, more safety advice, more kind of rules of the road, if you will. Kevin, thanks very much for dropping by. We yeah, thanks it. for having us. 
Well, while we're on the subject of uh, Independence Day, Fourth of July fireworks and all of that, it is certainly uh, important to mention this. While it is unquestioned and undisputable that those who have served have a deep love of our country, many veterans don't necessarily share the love when it comes to the way we celebrate our country's independence. Hancock County Veterans Service Officer Nicole Coleman is with us on the line this morning, and I know the last thing that you want to do is put a damper on the most patriotic day of the year, but... Yes, that is very true. A lot of um, a lot of veterans, not just combat veterans, but a lot of veterans who may have um, experienced trauma of some kind and live with post-traumatic stress disorder or different kinds of anxiety are startled by fireworks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one thing I have found is that it's oftentimes not even just veterans. Um, I've, I've had some interesting conversations since we um, started distributing the yard signs a few years ago that there there are a lot of people who live with PTSD and anxiety yeah. and the fireworks startled them as well. Yeah. Now, you are not saying don't celebrate, but what are you asking the rest of us to do in, in order to be sensitive to these issues? Yeah, so really the thing is, if you know that there's a veteran who lives in your neighborhood and you're going to be setting off fireworks in your neighborhood, just go let them know when you're planning to do that. Um, I had a neighbor stop at my house a few years ago. They saw the sign in my front yard and said, you know, we just wanted to make sure you knew we were going to be doing fireworks at this specific time. And that was, it, it made me feel like they cared. Um, and then when the fireworks started going off the evening, they said it didn't startle me because I expected it. Yeah. What do you tell veterans about this? Because, you know, not everybody obviously is going to get the message. Uh, It's just something simple that the rest of us can do to, again, be sensitive to that. But not everybody is necessarily going to do that. How do those who do have issues, and you mentioned you yourself have some experience with this, how do you deal with Mm -hmm. that? Well, I think um, it's important to to have healthy coping skills um, and, you know, know deep breathing techniques, make sure that there are people um, in your life who know what the things are that help calm you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, and sometimes it can be something as simple as funny videos, Um you know, so get on TikTok or YouTube and search for funny animal videos or funny mm. baby videos yeah. and just get yourself laughing um, because that, that gets you present. Um, and, you know, the other thing is remind yourself, I'm safe. Yeah. I'm in a safe place. I am okay. Um, but try not to isolate um, try to let people be a part of your healthy coping skills. Yeah. And I know that these things manifest differently in different people, and some may have never had an issue before, but then find themselves being triggered suddenly this year, maybe for some reason. Are there ways to recognize that someone is struggling, yourself or, or someone else? I usually can tell by watching people's facial expressions or body language. I mean, if if you notice someone um, kind of 
uh, shudder. I mean, that's the only word I can think of right yeah. now, but just kind of they, yeah. they jump, they're jumpy when they hear them, um, you know, that it, it startled them. And if it's just the first one and then they're fine with the rest of them after that, then, you know, maybe it was just a one-time thing. But if they start to withdraw or um, maybe if they've had a drink and now they're drinking a lot mm. um, or... Uh, you know, those, those types of things, just really, really keep an eye on them and ask them if they're okay. Ask them if they want to, you know, go inside or go somewhere different or, yeah. um, you know, just try to engage them in conversation uh, to make sure that they're okay and remind them that they're in a safe space. Yeah. Again, uh, just some re- quick reminders uh, so that we can be mindful uh, that there are those who struggle with this for a variety of reasons, veterans and otherwise, as you were mentioning. Again, Hancock County Veterans Service Officer Nicole Coleman with us this morning. Nicole, thanks very much for uh, taking the time and some important reminders for folks. We appreciate it. Thank you. You have a great day. Now we get to our Throwback Thursday segment this morning. You know, when the news came down last week that the Ocean Gate submersible had been lost and everyone aboard had died, I think most of us were disappointed but not necessarily surprised. It was the ending that everyone had pretty much expected, even while we were holding out hope for a miracle. And there was a reason that we were kind of thinking maybe there would be a miracle. We mentioned that this story was kind of like uh, the, the story of the boys who got trapped in that flooded cave in Thailand a few years ago. No one thought that they could be rescued either, and yet they all miraculously survived. So there was that hope in the back of our minds that maybe uh, the uh, victims of the sub could be rescued. Sadly, that did not turn out to be uh, a repeat of that uh, miracle from... As a matter of fact, uh, the day we learned that the Titan submersible had been lost was five years exactly from the day that those boys got trapped in that cave. You remember we mentioned that? Well, if you uh, recall, Matt Gutman was the lead reporter on that story of the boys in the uh, cave uh, in Thailand for ABC News at the time. And after uh, that rescue, he wrote a book about one of the world's most improbable happy endings called simply The Boys in the Cave. And in November of 2018, we spoke to him about it. It is today's Throwback Thursday. You have uh, covered a great many stories in your career. What was it about this story about these boys in the cave in Thailand that made you decide to write a book about it? No we knew that something incredible had happened. And once I actually started digging into the story, Chris, I realized and learned how impossible it really was. Um, the divers themselves going in to, you know, they, they had been camped out there for 16 days during, even before um, they started the actual rescue mission. So it was, you know, days and days in the making. Um, for a long time, they couldn't even find the kids. Then they couldn't figure out how to get them out. And once yeah. they finally figured out how to get them out, um, they thought, wow, you know, most of these kids are going to die on the way out because it's just too perilous. Um, so the more I learned about it, the more I learned that it was, the more I learned how incredible it was and, and how shocking it is that the kids actually escaped with their lives. So for me, it was, it was kind of fun just unraveling the story piece mm-hmm. by piece. 
You know, uh, I, I'm old enough to remember the coverage of the Jessica McClure story. The uh, For those who don't remember, the, the little girl in Texas fell into the well in her backyard back in the late 80s and uh, how everyone was riveted to that story. And you had people all over the country really looking to offer whatever help they could. This was kind of much the same as that, but really with an international response that was just amazing. It was not only the international response, but the massive overwhelming number and, and amount of resources that were poured into getting these kids out, coming from Australia and China and Korea and tremendous amount from the United States and from England. And, you know, I've talked to rescuers from Finland and Malta and Belgium. Uh, everybody pulling resources, pulling their intellect, um, their skills to try to make this one thing happen. And then finally they make it happen. And it was sort of the, the good news antidote to all of the bad news that we've been hearing yeah. um, that I've been covering over the past uh, you know, few years, I guess. Yeah. Now, I, I'm curious, did you volunteer to cover this story, or was this something that they said, Matt, you go and, and, and cover this? I was actually on vacation in Tel Aviv when it happened, and I raised my hand because, A, the vacation was about to come to an end, and B, because uh, I just thought it was the coolest story. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do some diving, but, I, you know, I... I've always been interested in survival. Um, for GMA, over the past years, I've done something called the Survival Series, um, which focused on you know ways in which people can and have survived crazy things. And this just seemed right in my wheelhouse, and I, I felt compelled to get there. So I raised my hand. I said, hey, I'm not that far away. <laughs> because when you first arrived, I mean, you mentioned that uh, I think going through a lot of people's minds, and I remember when I first heard about these missing boys, I did not think that this story was going to have a happy ending. Right. Well, exactly. That's what was so shocking. The fact that they somehow had been found alive um, and that they were in a condition to actually be brought out somehow out of the cave. It's incredible. It, it, yeah, who, didn't, who wouldn't want to be part of that? Yeah. Obviously, there is a lot of coverage uh, of the story, and you were touching on this before. What was it that we didn't see in the news reports, because a lot of people were just riveted to this story, but what was it that we didn't see in the news reports that we get a better sense of from the book? Primarily, in the beginning of the book, it's the incredible amount of chaos there. So, you know, everybody thinks that it was this well-formulated plan, but in the beginning, there was no plan at the time. Government just threw every resource it could find in the world at the problem. Um, it was wholly uncoordinated, which actually caused a tremendous amount of duplication of effort. And then the Thai government actually tried to hide the amount of um, danger involved in the rescue itself. They, you know, people don't know that the boys were so heavily drugged um, under the uh, anesthetic ketamine that you could have amputated an arm and it would have felt anything. Mm. Um, people also don't know that uh, two of the boys nearly died on the way out and that the divers um, believed that they would lose about 10 of the 12 boys to hypothermia, asphyxiation, panic, um, or just, you know, sheer terror uh, in the cave and that, that, you know, most of those boys would die. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, that, that I think bottom line is how touching go it was. You know, the Thai government and others tried to present this um, show of everything being under control, but it was far from that. What ultimately was the reason that it was so successful then? I mean, as you were saying, the odds were just so incredibly stacked against these boys. Through all of those incredible odds, what was it that made this a, a happy ending, ultimately? 
you know, I, I think there are a lot of things. One of them is that kids were probably stronger than we give them credit for, even though a couple of them had pneumonia and they were sick and starving. They'd stuck together, and they'd help rescue themselves. I think, and, I, you know, I'm not to be too chest-thumpy here about America, but um, the, there was a special tactics team sent in from the Air Force. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys are basically the, the field team of the U.S. Air Force. Um, and the, fo- the book focuses a lot on them. They didn't actually go in and bring the boys out physically, but they scripted the rescue plan. They oversaw its execution. They always oversaw every single aspect. Um, and they put this organizational groundwork in place that I think was instrumental, that without which everybody tells me, uh, you know, we would not have had such a successful outcome. So they were really seminal. And I think the fact that because there were kids in that cave, uh, the divers themselves probably, not probably, they told me, they took risks that they wouldn't have taken for other people. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and you know, they put their, their lives on the line. Wow. And so they incredible work, too. It's just the whole thing is pretty remarkable. Yeah, definitely one of those stories that you never forget. Where would this rank? As we said, you've covered a great many stories uh, in your career, some incredibly emotional stories, unforgettable stories. Where does this rank? Oh, in terms of um, stories with a good ending, this is number one by far. It's it's truly a happy ending. Yeah. Um, so I, th- this one by far, there's no doubt. It's yeah. the best ending story ever. It's yeah. just perfect. <laughs> uh, Especially considering, Chris, how badly it could have ended. Exactly. Yeah, no question. The uh, book is called The Boys in the Cave. ABC News Chief National Correspondent Matt Gutman with us. Thanks very much for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Our conversation from November of 2018 with Matt Gutman, the book The Boys in the Cave, which we have a link up to at our webpage, goodmornings.net. Almost five years exactly before the tragedy Earlier this month, the Ocean Gate submersible, sadly, that one did not have such a uh, happy ending. Again, go to goodmornings.net to learn more about the book. This is our Throwback Thursday this morning. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. I'll tell you what, over the next several days, going to hear all kinds of crazy travel stories. Uh, millions of Americans going to be traveling for the 4th of July holiday weekend. And uh, as a matter of fact, the madness has already begun. I think AAA is saying something like 55 to 60 million people are going to be traveling. And so, uh, again, the madness has already begun. And it's not just in this country. This is on a flight from Mumbai to New Delhi. Uh, reportedly, a passenger on the uh, flight <laughs> decided he really had to go. He really had to go, and he couldn't wait to walk to the back of the plane to the lavatory. He relieved himself, both number one and number two, right there on the floor of the plane mid-flight. Oh, my goodness. How would you like to be trapped on that flight for the rest of the trip. An Air India spokesperson said the man behaved in a repulsive manner. I would say that's the understatement of the day. The passenger was then separated from others on the flight and arrested upon landing. It is suspected that he was intoxicated. It says. <laughs> suspected. Mm. Spokesperson for the airline says Air India follows a zero tolerance policy for such unruly and unacceptable behavior. But at the end of the day, 
How'd you like to be the person in the aisle seat right next to that for the rest of the flight? <clears throat> Investigation is ongoing. Elsewhere in the broken news, what is, you think of American icons, I mean, the iconic places and uh, scenic spots uh, in the United States. I mean, everything from the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, the uh, the Grand Canyon, and Mount Rushmore. It's kind of an iconic American image, right? One South Dakota lawmaker is now under fire after calling Mount Rushmore a demonic portal for communism. <laughs> a demonic portal for communism. Republican House Representative Joe Donnell, or Donnell, uh, made the comments on a Now is the Time podcast episode. It has, unsurprisingly, gone viral, reaching close to 600,000 people on Twitter. Representative Donnell said Mount Rushmore is a Freemason shrine that demonic entities can enter and spread communism throughout the country. Uh, the South Dakota Democratic Party sent a letter to, uh, letter to Governor Christy Noem asking her to renounce the congressman's comments. <laughs> I've, I mean, there's a, Mount Rushmore has become a rather controversial uh, place, a rather controversial uh, sculpture. Um, but I don't know that I've, this is the first time I've ever heard somebody call it a demonic portal for communism. Well, okay then. Uh, in other broken news, an Iowa woman is accused of starting a fire in her bathtub. Court documents say 33-year-old Meredith Hendricks lit some papers on fire in her bathtub while she was smoking meth. Well, this seems like a fun thing to do. Happened on the second floor of an apartment building in Cedar Rapids on Monday evening. Fire crews contained the blaze to the bathroom itself, she is now facing arson charges. <laughs> what? What in the world would you start a fire in your bathtub? Well, she was on drugs, so I guess. It's weird. Apparently, there is a wild cow on the loose at Kutztown University in Pennsylvania. According to local news reports, this rebellious bovine was spotted causing a ruckus on campus and in town. Despite the university's best efforts, the cow remains at large, keeping everyone on their toes. With over a thousand young people on campus, the situation is no laughing matter. Officials are urging students and residents to steer clear of the aggressive animal and report any sightings to the Kutztown University Police. Certainly uh, hope that they can corral the cow very soon. <laughs> Uh, how would you like to uh, wake up to that breaking, uh, breaking news? You know, that is definitely broken news. Some news is breaking. Some of it's already broken. That's what we do. Uh, speaking of uh, wild animals in the news, do you see this? A pod of killer whales bumped into one of the boats in an endurance sailing race as it approached the Strait of Gibal Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Uh, the, easy for me to say. I know what I'm trying to say. Just not saying it well. Anyway, it is the latest encounter in what researchers say is a growing trend of sometimes aggressive interactions with the Iberian orcas. 
The 15-minute run-in with at least three of the giant mammals forced the crew competing in the ocean race on Thursday to drop its sails and raise a clatter in an attempt to scare the approaching orcas off. No one was injured, but the skipper of the team said in a video posted on the Ocean Race website just minutes after the incident, he said it was, quote, a scary moment, unquote. (laughs) A scary moment when three killer whales tried to uh, topple your boat. That, again, understatement of the day there. A scary moment. No word on where they finished in the race. That's re- that would really stink, too. I mean, you're in the running for this race, and s- suddenly the uh, orcas, I don't know that the rules uh, account for that. No word on who won. And finally, in the broken news this morning, this from the International File in Italy. Get this. Senzia Paulina De Leo has been fired from her teaching position uh, for... apparently she had too many unexcused absences as a teacher 20 years worth to be exact that's right 20 years of absence from her position she's been a teacher i think a philosophy teacher is what uh the the news report said uh she's been employed for 24 years but she's only actually taught for four of them the school teacher claims to have documents supporting her side of the story, but she says she's currently at the beach, so she doesn't have... <laughs> um, when she did teach, inspections and students found her unprepared, inattentive, and distracted by her phone. <laughs> so, even when she was there, she wasn't really there. Uh, after being dismissed... Ms. DeLeo has appealed the decision for her termination. Uh, The uh, school has argued that it is a teacher's responsibility to guarantee students' right to study. Uh, Ms. DeLeo describes herself as a freelance journalist now. She's not even... (laughs) I've got... My 20 years of absence are justified... And I'll give you the documentation just as soon as I get back from the beach. (laughs) That may not be the best defense. But there you go. That is uh, today's Broken News Report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. You don't think twice about wearing your seatbelt. Going boating? Real boaters wear a life jacket. It's easy to do. Accidents can happen quickly, and if you're not wearing your life jacket, you won't have time to put it on if it's stowed. So pick a comfortable life jacket and wear it. Remember, life jackets are for everyone, regardless of your age or swimming ability. Have fun, make memories, and boat responsibly. This message brought to you by the National Safe Boating Council and U.S. Coast Guard. This message provided by WFIN. Somebody mentioned this the other day. Just when... We thought the pandemic was over. The uh, masks are back. This time now people trying to shield themselves from all of this wildfire smoke. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A new uh, Gallup poll on the state of the pandemic says finds for the first time, for the first time, a majority of Americans believe that the pandemic is over. So finally, we're to the point that a majority of Americans 
uh, believe that we're we're done with this. But fewer than half say that their lives are back to business as usual. 64% in this latest uh, Gallup poll say that the COVID pandemic is over. Compare that to February of this year, the last time they asked this question, only 49% of Americans. So this is the first time we've been over 50%. It's 84% of Republicans, 65% of independents, and just over half of Democrats believe now that the pandemic is over. Uh, But just over 40% uh, said, well, here's the the number. Uh, 64% say it's over. Um... Less than half of, uh, of adults, though, 43% say that their lives have returned to the pre-pandemic normal. 43%, 56% say that life has not returned to normal post-pandemic yet. So we're not quite there yet. And of that 56%, 41% of those say normalcy will never return. Uh, 15% expect that it eventually will, and presumably the rest just don't know. Um, It's kind of uh, interesting. Just over 40% say that they don't think that uh, their lives will ever go back to what was normal pre-pandemic. And this is kind of interesting. Uh, 18%, just 18% of Americans in this uh, Gallup poll say that they are worried about getting COVID-19. Just 18%. That is the lowest number since June of 2021. So the month of July is going to be a really fun month for the Hancock Historical Museum. Uh, Sarah Sisser is uh, with us, along with Reg Routson. Uh, We'll talk with Reg here just a little bit, because that's part of the fun. It's coming up in the month of July. But before we get to Finlay Rocks the 60s, live... Want to mention the uh, ice cream social? Annual uh, ice cream social is That's coming right. up next week. So. Always a great tradition, yeah. and. Um and per usual, it looks like it's going to be pretty hot. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's good. It is good for an ice cream social. Ice cream social. But we always encourage people to come down um, to the museum right after the 4th of July parade. And we serve Dietz's ice cream. Of course, it's the only place you can get Dietz's that day because Dietz's is closed. Yep. So um, we always have a great crowd. The museum will be open um, and free admission. So you can enjoy some of the great exhibits we have going on right now. Um, get yourself some ice cream. We'll have plenty of seating outdoors uh, on our beautiful front porch and throughout the campus. So it's just a great way to spend the afternoon. And the uh, ice cream social is from when to when? We're going to go 1230 to 230. Okay. Um, and so it's a we're pretty convenient, obviously, to Main Street and the parade route. So right. just walk down um, after the parade and you're welcome to park at the museum um, before the parade as well. It is uh, an awful lot of fun. So uh, do not miss that after the parade on the uh, on the 4th, on the 4th. Uh, at the uh, Hancock Historical Museum. And then the end of the month is the really big event. And we've actually been talking about this for a while now. It is uh, Finley Rocks the 60s live. First of all, this is uh, sort of the... Uh, penultimate event uh, for the Finley Rocks the 60s exhibit, which has been on display for a couple of years now. Right. So this has been a great labor of love for not only uh, Judge Routson, but also our curator and archivist, Joy Bennett. They've made a good team um, uncovering a lot of this history and documenting it. And so we've had this wonderful exhibit at the museum that just really um, lent itself so well to doing something like this. So I'm so glad that we're being able to bring it to a live audience. And um, it'll be just 
a great way, as you said, to kind of culminate this this exhibit. Yeah. So uh, was this your idea to uh, to do a live concert to say, hey, let's we've got the exhibit now. Let's do it live. Where did that come from? Well, after we worked, Joy and I and Sarah, of course, helped us work real hard to put the exhibit in the museum. I'd always wondered, why don't we just go the next step and recreate the music from the local bands? And what's not part of this exhibit, but is also true historically, is the number of national acts which passed through Finley in the 60s. So we're weaving in between the local music and the national acts that uh, came through Finley during that decade. So how long has this been uh, in the works in terms of putting all this together and getting a hold, reaching out uh, to all of the folks and, you know, putting it all together, making it happen? Well, Chris, if I had thought it was going to be this difficult when I started, I would just <laughs> I would have ended with the exhibit and thought that was the, <laughs> the crowning end of my career. But uh, I, I thought we, we could do this and it could be a benefit. Plus, I sort of envision it as sort of a giant 60s reunion in a way for all of us who grew up during that era and graduated. Most of us graduated right at the change of the decade. I graduated in 71, but a lot of people that are going to come in and are going to perform were in the late 60s. So it's sort of like the uh, hopefully culmination of a whole bunch of work. And I thought it would be a really good idea. You know, it's, it's all about Finley. It's Finley based. So, and are most of the folks who are going to be performing, are they still here in the area? Are they coming back from, you know, places that life has taken them elsewhere or we have both. And unfortunately, because of the age of some, some people, the lineup has been changing over the last several months sure. only due to health concerns. But mm-hmm. for example, we have two people that played in a band later on in the 60s who were driving back, one from Woodstock, New York, and the other from wow. New Hampshire. Wow. A couple of guys that played in a band in the middle 60s live in Florida, and they're hopefully going to send us a video of them playing, sort of like one of those COVID concerts where they okay. split the screen. So yeah. we're hoping to handle it that way, and we're still getting As a matter of fact, I was waiting to come in and see you. I got a a text message from one of the former band members who now has expressed an interest and now is trying to get me more information. So it's sort of an evolving yeah, process, I, well, oddly. That was what I w- uh, was wondering. It, what's the reaction? I mean, when you reach out to some of these guys and you track them down, because I, I'm sure, like as I mentioned, some of them are, are still here, but then they've scattered uh, all out. So in, in terms of tracking them down, and then once you reach out and say, hey, this is the idea, what's the reaction? It's been the entire spectrum of human emotion. <laughs> some people have been extremely flattered, and some people have been flattered but slightly embarrassed because their <laughs> memories just aren't quite as good as they used to be. Yeah. The materials they once had, they can't find. I mean, we're talking 50, yeah. over 50 years ago, yeah. of course. Other pe- others have just simply uh, ignored me, <laughs> and others have expressed some hostility. <laughs> really? if you can believe it yeah <laughs> but it's going to be an awful lot of fun. how many again this is all uh you know kind of fluid and so you know the lineup can change but the who is coming that we would know and you know what what bands what members you know what's the lineup look like well the first rock and roll band in Finley in the 60s is a band called The Checks, and one of the original members is still alive, and he's going to perform. He's 82 years old. Wow. Another member of a band that came right after that is 80. He's going to perform. And then other members of bands that were very popular in the 60s, a guy, Bob Nash, for example, had had the carpet shop, and others of his uh, age group are going to perform. 
and some of my colleagues, we came along a little, a little bit later, are going to come and perform. I think we have about 16 people that are still scheduled from the era alive to perform. We've had a couple people with some health problems, and it's a little precarious right now, but we're ho hoping they work through this and they're, they're able to make it. And is this going to be kind of an, an all-star thing where everybody's just going to be jamming, and what does rehearsal look like? What does that mean? There's a lot of logistics that have to uh, uh, Yeah, and that's why I'm regretting getting in the middle of all this. <laughs> but, but we actually have a structure. Uh, Joy and I and Dave Crosser, Dave's going to be the MC, mm -hmm. have worked on a script. And we're going to take it chronologically from the 60s and end in 1969. So we're going to start with Bobby Rydell, who you may or may not remember, was mm -hmm. a teen idol from the day, who was right. at the Green Mill Garden twice in 1960. Mm. And we're going to end it with a performance by Ted Nugent, who performed as a member of the Amboy Dukes in 1969 at the then Central Auditorium. I was there. I've never recovered from it, but I, <laughs> I, I, I was there. So we're going to go chronologically. We're going to weave the national acts in between the local acts, and we have a house band, and then we have guests are going to come and perform and sing a couple songs and then leave the stage, so it's going to be quite a operation. Sarah's agreed to be the stage manager, so she'll be in charge. Twisted my arm. Well, I think, and one of the really neat things is that it's become this very intergenerational yeah. um, celebration, so we have... Um, you know, members of FFE that will mm -hmm. be performing as backup for some of these numbers and awesome. um, some of the more um, just contemporary talent that we have here locally. Jason Wagner is going to be performing. And so it's been neat to see that come together mm -hmm. and also the appreciation um, acknowledged and, and grown um, among a younger audience for this era of music and the musicians we had here. And what a, a great way of bringing history to life. I mean, because there's so much here from Absolutely. the local bands, uh, and then, of course, the history of the music, which everybody still loves, but the local bands, and then, as Reg was mentioning, the fact that we had a number of national, national acts. acts that that played locally i don't know how many people realize ted nugent actually played in the central auditorium stage so we had some great venues and i think that's been part of the exhibit as well so to be able to also bring all of that back yeah. to that same stage is pretty neat as, yeah. as well so uh the date on the concert is when saturday july 29th okay. and you can purchase your tickets now they are going quickly we're excited about how many people have been um excited to take part in this and so you can purchase them uh, at, on the website for Marathon Center for the Performing Arts, mcpa.org, um, or you can get the link uh, at our website, HancockHistoricalMuseum.org, or you can purchase them at the box office at MCPA. And uh, we've got a link up on our webpage for more information. Finley Rocks the 60s live coming up later this month. So put that on your calendar, and it is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing that is not to be missed. That's maybe I don't think Reg is going to do it again. That's one of the <laughs> no. that's one of the big uh, one of the cool things about is I mean, how often do you get the chance to do something? Like this? And I, it, it will be the last probably big event reflecting the history of yeah. rock and roll in Finland in the '60s, which did exist here, by the way. <laughs> Again, go to goodmornings.net to learn more. Sarah Sissa, Reg Refson, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. Check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, the return to pre-pandemic eligibility rules for Medicaid and CHIP coverage could force many Ohioans off those programs soon, and the clock is ticking on alternative options for health care coverage. 
So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.